With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. They're a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game, and they never got the girls in high school, and they just want to get in the game. <laughs> With your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. See, the thing is, you guys look at me, you see the backwards hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a chump, am I right? No. I'm geek. Only on the VSIN Podcast Network. All right, what's up, folks? Welcome in. We got another edition of Hardwood Handicappers. We're back. We're back. Yep, that's right. Two-week hiatus back uh, with a little bit of a normal schedule here. Again, as I kind of mentioned uh, in passing at the end of the regular season, and actually not the regular season, at the end of the postseason, uh, we're going to have some regularity with this pod as we uh, move forward. A little bit of changes behind the scenes of what's going on here. But we are back, and it's going to be a busy week in the association, despite the fact that the uh, season is over and the Golden State Warriors are champions. Free agency, of course, began last week, and while we had some moves, most of it was due to trades. We have, of course, the Kevin Durant thing, which we're going to get into momentarily, and it's also Summer League Week. California Classic tipped off this past weekend. They're playing in other spots as well, and then the whole shebang uh, starts on Thursday here in Las Vegas, which has become uh, the... I guess you'll call it, yeah, the off-season home of the association. Very excited. Matt Humans and I are going to be broadcasting live from the Summer League Thursday and Friday. We'll have a desk down there. And then on Sunday, Hardwood Handicappers will be back for a couple of hours so we can broadcast live yet again from the Thomas and Mack Center for Summer League action. So that's going to be really exciting. Cannot wait. Summer League's fun. Summer League's a lot of fun. And we'll get into the, uh, the handicapping aspect of Summer League coming up on Wednesday's podcast. Started the preparation, obviously, getting these rosters together. There's so much going on with these rosters. Um, but I'm very excited for what we're going to do for the Summer League. So with that, let's dive in. Uh, we have a lot to get to in terms of what has happened. And I will say, um, I do. I wanted to come out with this podcast on Friday, 
but with Kevin Durant floating around, and Mitch said it when I joined the guys today on Follow the Money, and I agreed with him you know, a couple of days ago, which is I, you know, the shoe is going to drop any moment now. And hell, now that I have finally decided to bite the bullet and record this, Kevin Durant is going to sign. I kind of wanted to wait and see where he would eventually end up, but it looks like this is going to be dragged out just a little bit. So let's start with the biggest story of the offseason, which is Kevin Durant's request to be traded and the Brooklyn Nets' journey in doing so. So Kevin Durant, as we know, Right, top two teams he wants to go to, Miami and Phoenix. Uh, that's congratulations, buddy, but uh, you don't get to decide where you want to go. And, and really quickly, I mentioned this on the air, but for anybody who's been listening, and if you're listening to this, you probably know this, but for the very few who don't, I'll do it quickly. Kevin Durant does not. There's been a lot of pushback on, well, you know, uh, Kevin Durant, Team X trades for him. He'll just say he doesn't want to play there. Well, Kevin Durant's under contract for four years. That changes everything when it comes to this situation in terms of trading him. Guys that are on expiring, expiring deals, i.e. and Anthony Davis, can kill trades essentially um, because they'll just tell the team that's trading for them, hey, give up the assets, that's fine. I'm not re-signing here. I'm leaving when the season is over. And so teams will then balk and not want to do that. So that is why this is a little bit different because Kevin Durant has four years left on his contract. So any team can really swoop in if they so choose and give up the assets and they'll have four years of control of one of the best players in basketball. So obviously a fascinating story. And we'll get to Kyrie too a little bit later in the podcast. But let's talk about where he might end up. At last look, and the last time these were posted, I can't find them posted anywhere else, and I think this is because information is out there and we don't want a similar situation as Paolo Bencaro in the first overall pick in the draft that was last week and pretty wild. We, um, we saw that the Phoenix Suns were the favorite to land one Kevin Durant, and we had a fast riser up the ranks, and that would be the Toronto Raptors. And the Raptors, I think that is a very, very legitimate spot in which he might end up this is the latest report from about 30 minutes ago uh from one josh lewenberg who covers the toronto raptors um and it's a pretty interesting quote from him uh quote there's something there it's not just smoke end quote um it does look like this is potentially something real that the toronto raptors have a legitimate interest in kevin durant and they are one of the teams that could put together a very legitimate package for his services be it Scotty Barnes at the center of that, uh, OG Ananobi potentially, draft compensation as well, Pascal Siakam, who knows. Uh, but there is something there in terms of what the Toronto Raptors have to offer. And early today, uh, took a small sliver of Toronto at 50-1 to 1 at William Hill. William Hill fell asleep on this. William Hill out here in Nevada uh, had Toronto at 50-1 to 1 as early as this morning. And I can even tell you the exact same time, or the exact time, as of 7.30 this morning, um, William Hill had Toronto at 50 to 1. They have now since adjusted to 25 to 1. I will call 25 to 1 the consensus number on Toronto at this point. Um, as I mentioned, all the odds that I could find earlier are now taken off the board in terms of where Kevin Durant's going to be ending up. And this is very much like Toronto, right? We know about the Kawhi Leonard situation, but to take you back for those who don't remember, when Kawhi Leonard was up in terms of his services and the Spurs were going to trade him, there were offshore markets. This is what, you know, before, I think this was before Passport was struck down. I'm pretty sure that's the case um, because they, it was mostly offshore markets we were tracking. And much like Paolo Bencaro and the NBA draft, not to the extreme, but the, the Raptors were in the range of like 30, 40, 50 to 1 to land Kawhi Leonard. And all of a sudden, it seemed overnight, they went from 40-ish to 1 to 10 to 1 to 6 to 1 to 2 to 1 to the favorite and taken off the board and sure enough boom just like that Kawhi Leonard ended up being a Toronto Raptor 
And it's not just the Kawhi Leonard situation that, you know, would make you think that the Raptors are going to do this again, which, you know, it's, it's very, a very similar situation. But I also think it's the franchise itself, right? I was on with Danielle Ovari earlier today. She was filling in for uh, Danny Burke on Rush Hour. And, you know, I brought it up and she, she asked the same question. And this is something I've touched on here with Toronto. If there's a franchise, if there's an organization that is structured and well-run enough outside of, like Miami gets all this credit for Miami culture, right? Since Nick Nurse has gotten there, the Toronto Raptors have been very good. Not to say that the Raptors were a nightmare before Nick Nurse got there, um, but this is, this is a well-respected franchise. Nick Nurse is a well-respected coach, defensive coach in the NBA. He's led this team to a title, obviously with Kawhi Leonard. They have a track record of drafting and developing players. As you can see, the roster is littered with guys that they drafted and developed. And it's just a team and an organization from top to bottom that has some solid ground, we'll call it, that a guy like Kevin Durant can come in, they can sell him, Masai Ujiri being at the top, and sell him on, hey, this is a team and a franchise and an organization that is going to get you a chance at winning a title. Are we going to be overwhelming favorites like a Phoenix Sun? I shouldn't say overwhelming. They're not going to be odds-on favorites. But are we going to be the favorite to win a title if you come here? Absolutely not. I'm sure I'm not saying that. But, you know, no, they're not going to be the favorite to win the title. But if Kevin Durant goes, depending on what pieces are given up, especially if Scotty Barnes can stick around, but even if it's Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi will call it Pascal Siakam, whatever they give up, whatever they keep, that's a very legitimate team in the Eastern Conference. And, again, we're talking about the big picture here. Kevin Durant is under contract for four years. So it's not just about this year. It's about bringing him in and telling him, we have a track record of drafting, developing, and being a good team. This is going to be a four-year stretch in which we are going to be very successful if you buy in. We are going to compete for titles. We're going to be a good defensive team. And we are going to be at the top of the Eastern Conference or around there for a the next four years if you want to buy in and stick around and I think that's a team with Ujiri and Nurse that could get him to buy into something like that there are reports that he has warmed up to the idea of playing for the Raptors I mentioned the report just now from Lewinberg that there is more than just smoke here at this point right now and I think this is something legitimate that we have to watch so yeah I took that stab at 50 to 1 on them to do so I would say that I mean it was a small stab it's not anything crazy at all um, and at 25 to one it, at this point right now, right? I could tell you like if Kevin Durant is going to go to the Toronto Raptors, they're not going to be 25 to one. They're going to be shorter. They're going to be in the range of like 12 to we'll call it 12 to one. So you can take a small stab now at 25 to one problem is if they don't get Kawhi, if they don't get, um, Kevin Durant, then you're going to be sitting on 25 to one on a price. that's probably going to go back to like the 40 to one range for the Toronto Raptors. So that's going to be a little bit of a problem from this point now, um, but I think this is legit. And if it's not the Toronto Raptors to land him, I get that the Suns are a team that can also offer stuff. Like I saw that report that was tweeted out, like a, a uh, anonymous Eastern Conference exec trying to say that the package the Miami Heat could offer of Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and picks was the best thing that the Brooklyn Nets were going to be able to get. That's, that's horseshit. I think that's clearly a Miami-affiliated Eastern Conference executive because that's absolutely ridiculous to say that. Um, and that was from Sean Devaney who tweeted that out. Um, there are much better offers out there uh, for the Brooklyn Nets to go to. And I also think, too, like this is what, like when you talk about where else he might go, 
the way I framed it was, I think you're looking at this for the teams that have the best packages to offer. And when you're talking about the best packages to offer, teams like Toronto, as we talked about, teams like New Orleans Pelicans that have a centerpiece in terms of Brandon Ingram that he could ship over to Brooklyn to potentially land him. I think that's where you're looking when it comes to the sweepstakes uh, of one Kevin Durant. Not so much the Suns, who do have intriguing pieces, right? They have Mikhail Bridges. They have DeAndre Ayton, who they would use in a sign-and-trade type situation, I believe. There's so much complications to the CBA. It's ridiculous. You know, the fact that um, they can't trade for certain players or the, the Nets can't take on certain players because, uh, like, the, yeah, like Bam Adebayo, for example, they can't get Bam Adebayo. They can't be offered in a trade because they have Ben Simmons on their roster. Um, but when you look at it from that perspective – the Suns have some pieces, but a third team would need to be involved. Pelicans, on the other hand, they have a centerpiece and a Brandon Ingram that could get shipped over potentially. Uh, I think if you're the Brooklyn Nets, um, you're talking about asking Zion Williamson, asking for Zion Williamson. Uh, that would be something that is definitely, I think, a question that is asked to the New Orleans Pelicans, and they have a ton of draft capital as well. So that's going to be something interesting to watch. But like that's the route that I took. But I do think that the market is getting this right and shrinking the odds on Toronto, both from a price standpoint and from the actual prop, where will Kevin Durant end up? And as far as how good Toronto can be, again, we got to see who's going to be given up there, but they're going to be a legitimate team. They're going to be a top four team in the Eastern Conference, and Kevin Durant's going to make anybody better. And he's still a legitimately solid defensive player and a good defensive scheme. It'll be really exciting to see if he ends up with Toronto. Now, I will say, and I brought this up to Will Hill on the New York City cast, the dynamic of playing for a team, not a team, um, in an arena where he suffered his injury and in front of a crowd that uh, I'll say allegedly, I didn't hear it. I know there were lots of uh, people that, say, that allegedly cheered for his injury when he went down in those NBA finals all those years ago. That's an interesting dynamic uh, to bring to the table when it comes to this. But I still think it'd be a lot of fun. Like I'm a big Nick Nurse fan, so I'm just, I'm really intrigued. And Toronto, like, that's the thing that they're missing, right? Like their offense, especially in the half court, has been so bad. And that's what makes them not a perfect team too, right? If they get Kevin Durant, depending again on what they ship off, it's going to be an offense that's super reliant on Kevin Durant. You're going to need another offensive creator outside of Durant, depending on who is not there anymore, who's still on the roster. So it's not going to be a perfect team by any stretch. But I think you would trust that if they get Kevin Durant in the years that follow, this is going to be a team that's going to go, you know, bees to the wall, onions to the wall to acquire talent, free agent talent, sign guys, and and make it so that he has a legitimate team around him. But it's very exciting. It's very exciting. And if, if, and if I were to say, like right now, John, where is he going? I would say Toronto. I'm going to say Toronto. I think this is picking up steam for a reason, and I do think that he's going to end up being a Toronto Raptor. Now, if he doesn't, Phoenix is obviously the destination. I think New Orleans is going to be up there too, as mentioned. And that's really it. I mean... Miami's there, but I just when you're talking about Tyler Hero, Kyle Lowry, and Duncan Robinson being the best options, sorry, it just doesn't get you there. Tyler Hero is a very it's is a solid player. He wins sixth man of the year, but he's also a very flawed player with the way that he plays defensively. He's not a franchise cornerstone. You're not building your franchise around Tyler Hero. He's a really good player. It's not to undersell him and play this back when he becomes better than LeBron James. But you're not, you're not building your franchise around Tyler Hero. And I think that's what some of these other teams are missing. Even with Phoenix, Mikhail Bridges is a really good player. He's much better player than Tyler Hero all the way around. But he's not a franchise cornerstone. 
And I think that's kind of part of the problem with one of these, some of these other packages. Where we're Toronto, for sure, you got a franchise cornerstone, at least it looks like it, in Scotty Barnes. You could talk yourself into getting a franchise-worthy guy in a Pascal Siakam type potentially on top of the draft capital. So we'll see. We'll see. But I think at this point right now, Monday, July 4th, 525 p.m. on the West Coast. Um, watch, I'm recording this, and he's being traded right now. I do think that that's, end, uh, that's ultimately what's going to end up here. So let's talk about the other stuff. Um, first off, Kyrie Irving, since we're on the topic of the Brooklyn Nets, where Kyrie Irving ends up. And, um, you know, we were getting reports. I find it funny. Like, I, there was one report the other day um, that the, the Los Angeles Lakers are engaged in – Talks with the Brooklyn Nets around Kyrie Irving. Yeah, like I think a lot of teams are. Right? I think a lot of teams are calling the Brooklyn Nets and asking what's going on. Um, there's also reports that those trades are kind of stalling out. Not that they're going to go anywhere, but it's just like, you know, they're not moving at a rapid pace. Um, and I think that's kind of the case. I think at the end of the day, when you're talking about best matches and fits and what's going on, I think the Los Angeles Lakers make a ton of sense. You know, if, and by the way, can I just say, if the Lakers with their extremely poor roster building, can stumble into getting Kyrie Irving and Joe Harris on that team. Uh, that's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Now, it looks like they'll have to ship off the two first-round picks that they control. So we'll see if that's going to be the case. Uh, but there was that meme out there of the dude walking and then stepping on the rake and it's slapping him in the face and it just said championship uh, roster on it, and that was the Los Angeles Lakers. It's very true. Like, they made a big mistake in signing Russell Westbrook over potentially Buddy Heald, Buddy Heald, who they're rumored to be stepping around again. Um, and yet here they are, maybe because they have a contract like Russell Westbrook, they could flip him to Brooklyn with some picks and something else to, you know, get Kyrie Irving, if that's going to be the case. Um, and the picks are the most important part for Brooklyn. They, they've got nothing after everything that happened with their big three and James Harden, and they want picks to control. And I think the Lakers, uh, that's going to be something that is going to be a sticking point. The Lakers, um, the two picks only that they control, I think it's 2029, if I remember correctly, is the last pick that they control, 2027 and 2029. Um, then that's what the, the Brooklyn Nets want. So ridiculous that we're talking about picks this far out. Um, but that's going to be the case. And if Kyrie, I'll say this, if Kyrie Irving joins that team and the flop is just, the, you know, the flip-flop, the, the switch, is just Russell Westbrook picks and maybe some filler, whatever the pieces are, to match that. I mean, uh, from a basketball perspective, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris – plug in whatever fourth or fifth piece you want, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. That's a core four that is really damn good in the NBA. I still think teams like Golden State and the Clippers are better than that team, specifically when it comes to their depth as well. But does that take you from missing the play-in to top five team in the Western Conference? Potentially, absolutely. Especially when you have a guy like Kevin, or excuse me, Kevin Durant, Freudian slip, uh, like LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They're going to be a legitimate team. And... <laughs> 11 to 1, where the market has them at at this point right now. Not entirely sure if that's the case, because that 11 to 1, you know, puts them above a team like the Philadelphia 76ers, who I'm really high on, um, just below teams like a, a Milwaukee Bucks type team, right? And these are just courtesy of DraftKings. So Lakers are 11 to 1, same odds as the Heat, just behind the Bucks at 650, and then the Warriors at 6 to 1. You know, does it put them up there in that secondary tier with Miami, Philly? Ah, uh, you know, it seems a little high for me, given what the flaws of that roster could be when it comes to their depth. And given the fact that Kyrie Irving in two of the three seasons, he was with Brooklyn played fewer than 26 games for 26 games or fewer uh, played just over 50 in the second season that he was with Brooklyn. And this is something that now you have to take into account when it comes to Kyrie Irving, 
Sure. Is there a chance that he behaves, for lack of a better term, uh, when it comes to playing with LeBron and whatnot? And I'm sure there's part of LeBron that's saying, I can, I can control Kyrie. He'll do this. Maybe. Sure. But I think you factor that into your handicapping at this point right now that Kyrie Irving is probably not going to be available at some point this season, be it because of injury or some personal choice, vaccine, lack of love for basketball temporarily for a couple of months, whatever it is. That is something that you take with Kyrie Irving now at this point. And it's something to factor in when it comes to the big picture of handicapping these teams from a power rating perspective. So I like it. You know, I told Will the other day, on his podcast, actually, it was earlier today. Um, game starts, and you tell me that Kyrie Irving, LeBron James, Anthony Davis are on the floor together, then, yeah, that's a really good team. But at this point right now, if you're just going to tell me the Lakers will acquire Kyrie Irving with no details on his availability, there's no way in hell they're worth investing in at 11-1. to Again, that's not a slight against the team itself. It's a good team. But it's just not worth it, given the unknown that is Kyrie Irving. Um, really brilliant basketball player. I'm a big fan. But it's a really big unknown. There's also Dallas out there, but I don't think that's going to be the case. They'd have to sacrifice a good chunk of their depth, and I think that's going to be a problem. And I, you know, They have some decent depth, not the best. Uh, but I think that's something that the Dallas Mavericks, it's just not really worth the, the headache when it comes to giving up the assets to acquire him. It does seem like it's, it's destined to be the Los Angeles Lakers at this point. Because even with you know the, the Kevin Durant sweepstakes, we're at least hearing uh, a lot of stuff coming out of Toronto that the Raptors are super interested. There's really no other team out there that has at least been reported that is showing a ton of interest in a guy like Kyrie Irving. So the Lakers might stumble into this, but again, we'll see how available he's going to be at this point when you get into it. So as you move forward from that, uh, let's talk about a couple of the other things from an offseason standpoint that from a betting perspective, uh, there are some some shifts and some rumblings and whatnot. And uh, let's start with, I think, the biggest shocking trade that happened during the offseason, and that would be Rudy Gobert going to the Minnesota Timberwolves. So Minnesota ships off the entire market, pretty much. 2023 first-round pick unprotected. 2025 first-round pick unprotected. 2027 first-round pick unprotected. 2029 first-round pick, top five. 2026 pick swap, Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Walker Kessler, their rookie selection from the first round, Leandro Balmaro, their first round selection from last year, and Jared Vanderbilt for one Rudy Gobert. And let's start with this, because we're a betting podcast, so, you know, big picture stuff. Is it an overpay for Rudy Gobert? I think absolutely. Um, you know, if you've listened to the podcast, read the work, whatever, you know how much I like the metrics, and I believe in Rudy Gobert. I think any one of you, this is not like a personal, uh, I think that any one of you, though, who has said that Rudy Gobert is bad at defense or overrated or played off the court, um, you're not watching what transpired for those Jazz teams properly. Uh, I think he's a very good player. And I think from a basketball standpoint, this fits beautifully and it's going to work really well. But I also don't think that he's worth three unprotected first-round selections, one top five, and the 20, 2026 pick swap, a first-round selection, of Walker Kessler, or Andrew, you know, whatever. He's not worth all of that. So I think this is clearly an overpay. But we're a betting podcast, and I don't give a bleep about, the, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves' future four years from now. We're talking about this next year. And when it comes to next year and what this team could potentially be, I think that from a basketball standpoint, this fit's going to be freaking awesome. I do. Rudy Gobert playing the five with Carl Anthony Towns playing the four. This is going to be a fit from basketball's perspective that is going to be a lot of fun on both ends of the floor. From a defensive standpoint, Rudy Gobert is now your primary rim protector. 
I brought this up on the edge today. That allows Carl Anthony Towns defensively to play the assignment of a power forward. It's exactly what Ime Udoka did when it came to Robert Williams. He shifted Robert Williams off uh, to uh, a more off-ball position when it came to defense, right? Not a primary rim protector and center. Uh, allowed him to be a help defender, and it worked wonders for their defense, and I think it's going to work wonders for Minnesota's defense. Not that Carl Anthony Towns is a defender the level of Robert Williams, but now... Coming in and crashing in, if you somehow beat Rudy Gobert and get to the four, you know, get to within four feet, the help defender is a seven foot Carl Anthony Towns. That's a problem. That's going to alter some shots within four feet. It's going to allow their rim protection to be a lot better. It's going to change things quite a bit. And from an offensive standpoint, they, are, I believe, are going to use Rudy Gobert in different ways and better ways than the Utah Jazz decided to do. Uh, Rudy Gobert, from a, an offensive standpoint, was not used at all for the Utah Jazz, right? It was one of the big reasons why there was that disconnect. There was that famous stat with the Donovan Mitchell passes to Rudy Gobert and whatnot and uh, how much um, they were wasting him. All of those offensive highlights, remember, with Rudy Gobert sealing his small defender like a, like a really small guard in the paint and not getting the ball and not even getting a look. His usage rate, uh, what, 15.2% last year, 15% the year before that, 14.8%, a career-high usage rate over in Utah, 16.3%. They never used him on the offensive end. That's going to change. He is a fantastic lob threat for a guy like D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, they've run some of those pick-and-rolls too. He's going to be tremendous in that role. I also think they're probably going to use him more a little bit in terms of posting him up and just seeing what they can do off of something like that. Carl Anthony Towns is a four in the way that he can shoot. His shooting numbers are absolutely brilliant, and his ability to stretch the floor and being a problem from that perspective, it's, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. So the spacing is not going to be a problem. Uh, I think this really has the potential to work. And what also makes this interesting is one of the other signings that they made, the Minnesota Timberwolves, and that would be Kyle Anderson. Kyle Anderson, I, I think, is a really, really good um addition for this team he sends a two-year 18 million dollar deal as we know we lovingly call him slow-mo uh, but six foot nine he's a ball handler um, this is a smart defensive player he can pass he can do everything they need him to do last year um, 7.6 points 5.3 rebounds 21.5 minutes per game for the Memphis Grizzlies come off the bench or start whatever it is he can be part of a really interesting lineup with him D'Angelo Russell Anthony Edwards Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert I think there's a lot of intrigue now with Minnesota from a standpoint of winning a lot of games now again does that mean winning a title do you want to run out like I thought it was interesting that Circa decided to get really aggressive in terms of the way that they were moving their odds and I think they went to as low as 18 to 1 somewhere in that range on the Minnesota Timberwolves showing the respect that they had for that move and also potentially trying to get in front of it from a uh, you know don't want a lot of money coming in on a, a higher price from a uh, future standpoint 18-1 seems strong in my book, but it's still a legitimately good team. From a betting perspective, to me, it's going to be about win totals and about a team uh, to bet on consistently in the regular season. I think Minnesota, again, you know, this last year, right, had them in terms of to make the playoffs. This year, they're going to be an odds-on favorite. The S is going to be a, a, small, a small minus price. Actually, it might be a... Just off the top of my head right now, I'm going to say Minnesota make the playoffs. The S is going to be in the range of $2, maybe a little bit higher than that. Um, yeah, a little bit higher than that, actually. 250. Yeah, we'll call it 250. Uh, probably higher. I like how I'm doing this right now. Anyway, but I think, like, yes, playoff team, obviously. But, like, from a win total standpoint, bet them over. On a day-to-day -day basis, potentially in a regular season, 
I think I'm going to bet them pretty consistently. This has regular season team written all over them. And I was listening to Zach Lowe's podcast. He had a really, really great point when he was talking on his most latest episode. And uh, his guest, who uh, covers the Minnesota Timberwolves for The Athletic, who um, I will pull up his name right now because I'm an idiot and didn't have it ready. Uh, But they talked about how they got everything out of this roster for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Their defense had caught teams uh, by surprise. It was a team that was one of the healthiest in the NBA as well. Uh, John Krasinski that covers the uh, Timberwolves. That is uh, K-R-A-W-C-Z-Y-N-S-K-I. K-R-A-W-C-Z-Y-N-S-K-I. But he brought that up and that he can really maximize that. And that's going to be a team that is, I think, in a regular season format, going to be really, really good. Now, in a postseason setting, I think this has potential like ceiling. Everything goes right for them. In terms of play, I think they're a second-round team. Um, and that leaves you with a higher ceiling if you get some luck involved, right? I mentioned this to Mitch and Paul earlier today on Follow the Money, which is the difference between Minnesota and I think a move like Atlanta is that I, I can see myself looking at Minnesota, winning a first-round series, getting lucky in a second round because of injury, which is always a big part of it, and making their way to like a Western Conference Finals. Like This is a team that's got a legitimate look at a second-round series, and a very competitive second-round series against the right opponent could move on to a Western Conference Finals potentially, given how good they can, pretend, they can be uh, on both ends of the floor with Rudy Gobert. Now, that's going to be interesting to see how high they can go, but I think that's it. But in terms of betting them on to win a title, eh. Still think the Clippers would be better. I'd really be interested to see how they defend a team like the Clippers who are really buying into this five-out approach when it comes to their offense um, and how that operates defensively. And if Rudy Gobert does find himself in situations like in Utah where the perimeter defenders aren't holding up and he can't exactly be the force that he usually is on the defensive end, and will they have to – will they be willing to uh, put Rudy Gobert down and play some smaller lineups in order to adjust to opponents' offense. I wonder if that's going to be the case. So I think that kind of holds you back. But I think when it comes to where we're at right now, again, on the 4th of July, I've got the Timberwolves circled as a regular season team. And I think that is definitely going to be the case. And I think the same could be said for Atlanta, who goes out and acquires DeJounte Murray. And again, what I think is kind of an overpay. DeJounte Murray's a pretty good player, but Murray for three first-round picks, a 2026 pick swap, and Danilo Gallinari, who was ultimately right bought out, waived, whatever, and moved on to the Boston Celtics, who we'll get to momentarily. But Murray and Young make a really intriguing backcourt duo, as we know. Murray on the floor with Young means more possessions for Young off the ball. Uh, I think that Trey Young is the guy that you want off ball more than DeJounte Murray, so I think that will be really, really interesting. Does Trey Young come along as more of a two-guard this year? Like the percentage of minutes and how they're allocated, cleaning the glass estimates position and you know percentage of minutes played at positions. I wonder how much that shift will be. Uh, Trey Young has played 100% of his minutes in the NBA according to cleaning the glass at point guard. I wonder how dramatic that shift will be to shooting guard because I think of the two, Trey Young is the most well-suited to be a really good off-ball kind of guy. And as I mentioned, I think today on the edge, if you're Trey Young, you're watching a lot of Steph Curry film. You're watching a lot of Steph Curry film. You're seeing how he moves off the ball. You're seeing what he does with screens. You're seeing how he gets himself open, uh, cuts to the basket, off-ball screens, all of that kind of stuff. I think that's what you're doing if you're Trey Young. And, again, he's, he's always gotten the comparison to Steph, and this isn't to say that he's going to be the same as Steph Curry, but I just think that that's who you're watching if you're Trey Young. So you can pair yourself with a guard like DeJounte Murray because I think your offense will be a little bit smoother with Murray on the ball and Trey Young off the ball as opposed to vice versa because it's not like uh, – that um, 
DeJounte Murray is a terrible off-ball player. He can do it. Uh, but I just think that when you're talking about a guy who has been somewhat inconsistent when it comes to his three-point shooting, uh, I think that is something that you want to work it in a little bit more. And when I say somewhat inconsistent, uh, the 2019-2020 season, when he played 66 games, he shot 38% from three. DeJounte Murray did. But each of the last two years, he has shot 33 and 32% from three. Uh, he has not been a good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. I believe he shot around 34 36% on catch-and-shoot three-point attempts this year. So that's going to be something that is worth monitoring and how they divvy up the off-ball minutes. And him, uh, just like Trey Young, he has played a vast majority of his minutes at point guard. Now, his first two years in the league, he actually played a little bit of two guard. And in fact, his rookie year, 11% of his minutes, according to Cleaning the Glass, he played a two, and uh, they had a negative 10 net rating in those minutes. So we'll see if that's actually the case. But regardless, it'll be a difference for both of these guys. But I think it's DeJounte Murray who you want taking a majority of the ball handling operations. And we have some numbers to back that up. You know, Trey Young in plays with off-ball screens. Uh, the Hawks, 1.42 points per possession. Uh, again, plays involving Trey Young and cuts to the basket, 1.39 points per possession. Uh, handoffs with Trey Young, averaging a full point per possession. The, uh, the frequency was a lot higher there. And this year, uh, Trey Young, 48.1% on 77 catch-and-shoot three-point attempts. Again, only 77 attempts, so it's not that large of a sample size. I just think that he is the more suited to play in that role. And to tie this in with Minnesota – when you're talking about the validity of this being a championship squad, sorry, I don't buy it. Now, do I buy it as being one of the better offensive teams in the NBA in the regular season? Sure. Do I buy it as potentially pushing for 50-ish wins in a regular season where for some of the best teams in the NBA, wins don't ultimately matter as much? Yeah, I think so. But I think if you're investing in the Atlanta Hawks right now to win an NBA title when they're we're talking 40-ish to one, I just don't really buy it. I just don't really see how legitimate this team is going to be when it comes to beating the teams in the Eastern Conference that they'll have to beat. The Boston Celtics, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, if Kevin Durant goes to Toronto, the Toronto Raptors, because that's another thing that's looming when it comes to the Eastern Conference. And I think that's the problem with what the uh, Atlanta Hawks did. And, and that's kind of like when you're looking at this big picture, they didn't give up as much as Minnesota did for Rudy Gobert. But you do wonder what the next move is in the next coming years, because if this is just what you're rolling with, a core of DeJounte Murray, Trey Young, Clint Capella, DeAndre Hunter, and Boyan Bogdanovich, sure, it could be fun, but I don't think that's a core that's winning you a title. It could just be a team that's fourth at third at best in a good season in the Eastern Conference. All right, so with that, let's talk about some of the teams uh, and the moves that I really liked. And um, I think our, as I said today on the edge, like these are like power rating changers, right? These are te- these are moves that I think make you change your opinion on teams and whatnot. And we'll go with a, a, the two of them. Uh, the first of which that I mentioned in passing, uh, the Malcolm Brogdon signing is, I think, freaking awesome. I, I think the Boston Celtics hit it out of the park with that. What you saw from Boston in terms of their flaws this past season um, was mentioned multiple times in this podcast in the writings. 
was the fact that they struggled in clutch minutes. We saw them really struggle against Golden State Warriors. We know about the numbers in the regular season in terms of clutch games and minutes and net rating and all of those good things. Refresher, 13-22 and 22 straight up in the regular season in games which entered clutch minutes, a negative 9.5 net rating in clutch minutes. They were 26th in net rating in clutch minutes. So, not very good. And their offense was atrocious. I was going to say tremendous. I don't know. Uh, 97.7 points per 100 possessions in clutch minutes in the regular season. Not good. And so what do you need if you're the if you're the Boston Celtics? What do you need to change? What do you need to adjust? And one of the things that we talked about in the going out pod after we talked about the Warriors winning the title was the fact that you needed to address potentially the point guard position. And Marcus Smart. And not that Marcus Smart is terrible by any means, uh, but that maybe Marcus Smart is not the best option in terms of being your lead guard. So what do you do? You go out and get a combo guard like Malcolm Brogdon, who has played a majority of his minutes in this league at point guard, especially the last few seasons. And each year that he has been in this league uh, since he was with Milwaukee, the minutes of point guard have been much better. His rookie year, Milwaukee, plus 4.1 in terms of the efficiency differential with him at point guard. Uh, His second year, not as great in terms of the net rating, a negative 2.4 when he played 57% as point guard. But then you go the rest of the time, the rest of the way, and every single year but one, a positive efficiency differential for Malcolm Brogdon at point guard. This last year for Indiana, plus 6.4 efficiency differential with him out there on the floor as their point guard. Brogdon, I think, is a really, really good match for what they want, the Boston Celtics. And he's a good defender, so he fits exactly with what they're looking for. He's a good fat, a passer, so he can fit with everybody. And it's not like him and Marcus Smart can't gel. Him and Marcus Smart will fit perfectly together if they want to play them in their minutes on the floor with one another. So now, when you look at it, you know, I do wonder, starter, coming off of the bench, but like you just, you just get so much deeper there. And speaking of their bench, they had Danilo Gallinari. So now all of a sudden, you're talking about Robert Williams, Al Horford, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, We'll say that they roll with the same starting five. So, Marcus Smart. You bring in off the bench Malcolm Brogdon. You still have Derek White. You still have Peyton Pritchard. You have Danilo Gallinari now taking up some awful Daniel Tice minutes at times. Uh, like This is just a team that in this season looked at what they did, realized, yeah, we're good, but we're not running it back the same. We see what our weaknesses are. Let's improve on that. They did. And like that to me, these two additions, the, right now they're the favorite to win the title. I, it's it, That's at DraftKings. I think that's still a little strong. I don't know if they're the best team in the NBA, but they're up there. And I'm not going to quibble with the fact that they are like rated by some as the best team in the NBA. I think that this is legitimately like this is this is a top three, four team in the NBA at this point. And what they did in terms of addressing their weaknesses was absolutely tremendous. And the other, of course, are the Philadelphia 76ers, which, man, oh, man, the 76ers with what they are doing, I am a big fan, big fan of what the Philadelphia 76ers have done with their roster, adding DeAnthony Melton and Daniel House, adding, of course, uh, overall to uh, everything that they have with this team, sniffing around Eric Gordon, uh, P.J. Tucker being the big you know offseason signing, they needed 3 and D guys, and they got 3 and D guys. Anthony Melton's a 10-point-per-game score coming off of the bench. He's quick. He's fast, good defender. Like they, they, again, when you talk, I just I enjoy when teams address their weaknesses, and they do it the right way, and the Philadelphia 76ers did that. And we could talk about all the jokes like, ha-ha, trying to rebuild the 2019 Rockets, whatever. At the end of the day, 
they needed good three and D type of players, and they went out and they got them. And when you talk, when you add in the fact that James Harden is still a top twenty-five player in the NBA, probably closer to twenty-five than he is to ten, sure, but still a top twenty-five player in the NBA. Tyrese Maxey's development, the fact that Joel Embiid is a top ten player, top five player in the NBA, and they added depth and defense and shooting. Once Kevin Durant, let's say Kevin Durant goes to Phoenix, even if he doesn't go to Phoenix, if he goes to Toronto, I think Philly right now, at least when looking at my like my tertiary early whatever. Uh, rankings and all that stuff. Philadelphia might be the second best team. I think I might have them just behind Boston. They might be the third best team, but the, the gap between them and Boston in the Eastern Conference is not that big. It's not that big at all. Really, really enjoyed that signing. And when you can talk about them, it's funny, during uh, when I was sitting on vacation, um, like seven times I went to my phone and loaded up 76 or 17 to 1 to win the title and just put it in my cart. And I was like, man. Do I bet this? Do I bet this? Do I bet this? Do I bet this? I'm like, nah. And sure enough, the best number out there now is at like 14 to 1, which I think I was texting with Jeff Sherman over at the Westgate Superbook. I still think 14 to 1 is not the worst number you can get, but when it comes to injuries and the wildness of the NBA season, 14 to 1 is probably a number that's going to be grabbable at some point. So I'm just going to sit back and wait. But I'm ready to get um, I'm ready to get dirty with the Philadelphia 76ers again. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, what they did. And now scrolling through some of the other offseason moves really quickly and just kind of trying to point out which are the ones that are really good, which ones you like, which ones you don't like. Uh, Dallas signing JaVale McGee. That's a really good signing. I think that's a really good lob threat to add on pick and rolls with Luka Doncic. That's going to be a really positive signing. I thought that the Golden State Warriors signing Dante DiVincenzo is a really, really good value price of what they got in that too. Yes, you lose Gary Payton the second, but you fill that void with a better offensive player and Dante DiVincenzo at a cheap price. That is really, really solid. Um, I liked the Denver Nuggets in terms of what they did in that trade with the Washington Wizards. Mm, not so much with DeAndre Jordan, but clearly trying to improve what they were doing defensively, adding Bruce Brown, adding Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Um, Ish Smith, eh, maybe, whatever. I, I think it's probably a solid signing, but KCP and Bruce Brown, I think are two good additions. I hate DeAndre Jordan. And as Chad Anders out in Denver, who's been on the pod a couple of times, talked with me about uh, the... You talked about, you know, we brought on a lot of the on-off numbers when it came to uh, Nikola Jokic and his MVP candidacy. Oh, those on-off numbers with DeAndre Jordan at center for that bench unit, they are going to be wild. Um, and, and even with the Lakers, like outside of the Kyrie Irving stuff, Juan Toscano-Anderson, Troy Brown Jr., Damian Jones, just getting young, getting athletic. I think those are really solid signings. And this is not, as I mentioned, a power rating shifter in terms of a move. But it's one of those signings that you look at and I'm like, man, I think that's a really good fit. I really like that. I think that's going to be maybe when you're talking about a playoff series, like a game might make the difference. The Bucks going and signing Joe Ingles, I think, is uh, really, really going to go down as a really smart move for the Milwaukee Bucks by the time we get to the postseason. I really like that. And re-signing Bobby Portis, of course, as well. All right, with that, uh, oh, I don't know what that was. Oh, it was my, it was my watch. Oh, look at that. Uh, Joe Ingles being a troll for eight minutes to my Apple Watch searched Joe Ingles for me. All right, uh, let's call this a wrap. The podcast will be back on Wednesday. We'll have a summer league preview then, talk about uh, some of the fun stuff that we're going to see in terms of some of these rookies and whatnot, and uh, back on Friday as well. And then, of course, our Sunday edition of Hardwood Handicappers. And as far as the offseason is concerned, uh, look, this is one of the longer offseasons we've seen in a while now. So uh, prep has already begun on the uh, draft. Uh, draft. Uh, the betting guide for next season, uh, slowly but surely. We're also we're pretty much in football season right now on July 4th. At least I feel that way. 
Um, but we'll still have these hardwood handicappers coming out with regularity throughout the entire offseason, especially with this thing floating around that Kevin Durant has yet to find a home. So it's going to be pretty fascinating. We'll talk to you on Wednesday. See you.